Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. A field trip to the Miami Art Museum in elementary school showed Jason Safe what the life of an artist could look like. He was at a Miami-Dade magnet school. An art teacher saw something special in him. This field trip was Jason's first time in an art museum. It planted a seed. That day, he realized that if he kept working at the thing he loved, his art could end up in a big fancy institution one day. Well, that day is today. The Miami Art Museum became the Perez Art Museum, and that's where Jason has his first solo show in a museum. It's called Coming to Fruition. Jason worked on the pieces in the show for two years, and if you see them, you'll understand why. Picture a Persian rug, but hand-painted on concrete. His style honors his Cuban and Syrian parents. It's a big deal for Jason. He didn't go to art school, and he didn't move to New York. He stayed in Miami, and he built his career here. Now he's ready to show us why. To talk to us about how to make it big in your hometown is Jason Safe. Jason, welcome, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and thank you for that uh, beautiful intro. I, I appreciate it. Well, round of applause for, for our producer, Elisa Baena, who wrote most of it, and, and, it was great, and it was, did a great job. Okay, shared congrats. Shared thanks. Then. Always, always the, the congrats and, and the flaws, they're all shared here. So, <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, you know, I just thought about this because I, you know, uh, I was telling the staff, you know, I went, I went to a show at the Perez uh, Art Museum a couple weeks ago and made my way into this room in the second floor and I saw these, this kind of, this beautiful, intricate artwork that looked like Persian rugs hanging on the walls and then I read the intro and I said, what, well, this guy is a Miami guy. This is his first show, and it's in Miami, and that's got to be so meaningful for him. I was like, we got, we have to talk to him. Yeah, I mean, wow! Thank you for having me here. I, it's still pretty surreal, um, being somebody that's you know from Miami, and as you touched on in the intro, fell in love with art at a very young age. Um, my art teacher, when I was in elementary school, realized that I drew well. Shout him out, shout her out. Miss is, Mrs. Rosenberg. Okay. Um, this was at Auburndale Elementary School. Okay. Um, wow, that was like 25 years ago now. Wow. hope she's still around. I hope she's doing great. Um, she recommended that I apply to this magnet school for art, which was uh, called Charles R. Drew Elementary. Oh, yeah, Charles Drew Elementary has got a, has got a great magnet program, right? Yeah, un- I think unfortunately I reached out to them recently, and I think that they don't have the art program anymore. I think they, they worked on getting back some of the magnet, but I don't know if they have an art program right now. Where, um, where where was your school growing up? So where were you? Where where did you live? What part of Miami were you in? Little Havana. So Auburndale okay. was like right outside of that. Okay. So, but Charles R. Drew was out in Liberty City, so I'd have to take like a specific bus and then kind of do that commute. So to, that that was quite a thing, and I, I think we we don't say it often, or rather we say it a lot on the show, is that there's always a person who notices talent early on in a person. Yeah. What kind of things? Looking back, do you or have your parents told you about things that you were doing then that? that caught, might have caught her attention. Sure. So both my parents are, are, you know, very creative. Like my dad is into carpentry and, uh, he basically, he, you know, helped me figure out how to make these concrete paintings. Like the substrate, the surface for the paintings is all done in studio. I pour a slab of concrete. The, there's no, I'm very much YouTube university for everything, but oh, there amen. wasn't a real I'm blueprint the same. on this one. Yeah. When it came to radio, I was doing a lot of like a lot of editing I learned on YouTube. There's yeah. you, there's a lot of knowledge to be there's, found there. Yeah, there's everything that I want to learn how to do. I uh, YouTube University it. So For this sure. was one that there was some stuff about like pouring a slab of concrete and 
staining and things like that but there wasn't a real blueprint on this so i'm fortunate for him because we were able to do a trial and error process on how to figure out how to make a slab of concrete that would be durable and that wouldn't be extremely heavy and there's been changes through that process uh, my mom is super creative as well she was always drawing and very crafty so growing up they were supportive uh in the sense of like it wasn't looked at as a career path but they weren't against it so yeah they they understood where where art could just fit into a daily life of exactly of a it's as as a hobby you know but at the same time like when i was drawing something even from a very early age you know i would show it to my mom and she would always have a critique of it mm -hmm. so it was very it wasn't like wow that's amazing put it on the fridge it was like oh that's good but you know you can change this or why does this look that way so having that kind of initial critique i think is maybe why at second third grade that i was in you know regular elementary school art class that my art teachers saw that i had just an ability of rendering things you know a, a bit maybe more uh not profound that sounds uh, too intense for like a third grader but maybe just a bit more um fine-tuned than some of the other students because at this point i remember specifically the thing that she saw and we were just doing roman like like um what is it called like old english almost you know when you'd write like the alphabet but like oh like calligraphy kind yeah of, kind yeah. of calligraphic okay. yeah it's like kind of that old english like fancy mm -hmm. l h whatnot and we we're just doing an alphabet of that and i remember like just that clip you know you kind of have these random clips of your childhood usually there's things that were maybe traumatic or, or stuck out but this one i remember just drawing this and she was like well wow, it's really good or, or i was doing it really well and then that, you know, led to a conversation, which became something else. But yeah, it's I'm, I'm so appreciative of that moment because that definitely started this kind of, you know, tumbleweed effect of, of all these other things. Um, you start picking up traction as you go in. And, and how cool to have, you know, one mom that taught you, uh, one parent that taught you how to self-edit, right? Yeah. To, to look at like why you're doing what you're doing and have a dad who's basically your studio assistant <laughs> yeah like yeah. your first piece out here is, oh, is yeah. a, the foundations you worked on together for on sure. how to create the physical the physical canvas for this work yeah it's i mean it's it, i'm so appreciative of all this and like i said for something like a museum exhibition to happen you know there's so much that goes in behind that and there's so much for any artist to kind of find a niche or, or a, a body of work that they're they feel fulfilled in or that they feel that they can express and, and that people can see and, and identifiably relate to them mm -hmm. is one of the hardest struggles. So, you know, throughout my whole career or I'm using the term career loosely here, I mean, just like loving art from a young age, the first works that I was doing were very derivative of artists that I loved. Right. Sure. So I was doing, you know, figurative painting or portraiture or in, in art school. And I didn't go to, you know, traditional college, but taking these magnet program art classes which is like one to two hours of art per day um they're always like asking for observational drawings so you draw what you see at home so we had carpets at home so i you know it was part of my sketchbooks i didn't think too much of them at that time other than i found them you know aesthetically pleasing um i knew that that people had them in their homes as these kind of family heirlooms i knew that, that was an importance it was almost like a nostalgia when you think of this carpet and you think of you know, old childhood photos, there's usually like a baby sitting on the carpet opening some a gift or something right there. There is this kind of like pre-wired um, appreciation that I had for it. And many people who maybe aren't even from Middle Eastern background at mm -hmm. all, like so many people have these types of carpets. 
at home, but it wasn't until later on in life that I started exploring them for a little bit deeper meaning in terms of, you know, why is it that someone who is uh, educated on these carpets can look at one and be like, oh, this is an Isfahan carpet from the 1800s. It's wool. It's this and that. What's that kind of hieroglyphic thing that happens in it? And how interesting that was, that was like your, your, how kids, you know, some boys fall in love with dinosaurs and it's just like all dinosaurs. Like for you it was the intricate designs of the carpets that really caught your attention. And it's, and you can see so much of influence today, you know, 25, 30, 25 years later, you know? Yeah. That's, that's why I say that I'm like so fortunate that all these things happened that kind of just fell into my lap in a sense. And look, I mean, I'm, I'm giving you the, the, the highlights here. There were definitely, you know, moments in my career so much. So if we follow that path, like I, I had applied to new world for high school, mm-hmm. um, which from sixth grade to eighth grade, I was working on my portfolio for, for this school. Cause I, you know, I saw it as this next step in this trajectory of, of becoming an artist or, or what I thought you needed to do to become an artist. Mm-hmm. And I had friends that had gone, I had a cousin who went there. So I had, you know, again, slightly different from like other children who are in sixth, seventh grade. Like I was working on this portfolio for, for this school. My art teacher would come to my house during the summer and like help me, you know, evaluate the portfolio. You really started to, to aim your, to aim your, all your thoughts as a kid towards getting into this, this prestigious Miami art magnet school, new world school of the arts. Yeah, exactly. So then summer of eighth grade, um, I applied, uh, got called back for a second audition interview Mm -hmm. portfolio review. And then again, this is, you know, what, uh, when I was maybe 13 years old or something, 13. Yeah. yeah, Mm -hmm. So about 20 years ago, um, there wasn't like you would get notified via mail like there wasn't email was like a thing but it really wasn't yet so i was just sit at home and wait for this letter and i remember that summer getting the the letter that i didn't get accepted oh and yeah well the fact that we're talking about this 20 years later (laughs) means that that was i'm still hurt yeah it was no i mean that was significant for you like if this is the way that an artist's career is supposed to go is they're discovered they go to an art school and that's there's something else uh in a in a trajectory beyond that that must have felt a little bit like a derailment for you right 100 percent. i mean i my understanding of, of this importance it was the way i describe it you know when i talk about it it's 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 like passing or failing a test. Like it was so absolute for me, right? Where it was like, this, they're saying, no, this means I'm not good at art. Like I got to figure something else out. Oh, you felt like so this, was I, a, this was like a, a determination about exactly. what you could, that now art was not in your future. Yeah, I just, I saw it as like, oh, okay. Like once I got over the, you know, 13 year old angst depression of like I definitely cried in my room about it and then I had built it up so much to where friends and family and everyone was asking like oh hey so what happened with this did you get acceptance of this so I had to keep reliving it and kind of you know explaining oh no I, I didn't get in so I had you know a bit of resentment towards art for a bit you Post, know, I, yeah getting I, into high school I'm curious about like how that affects you know, um, you know, someone who's now their career, your career is art and it's so, and it's so self-built, it feels like to then have that kind of discouragement, you know, like how did you, uh, what, how long in that period did you just, did you not create for a while? Yeah. For a long time. I mean, I started taking art again in high school just because it wasn't what I see, what I saw as an easy A, you know, because of my skill level, they would put me in AP art from ninth grade, but I wouldn't be able to submit APR just being advanced placement. Mm-hmm. You could 
potentially get a college credit for it, but I wouldn't be able to submit for the college credit until senior year. But I was just around, you know, uh, upper class high school who were a little bit more advanced just because my art teacher kind of quickly saw that I was, you know, um, a little bit more into art. So I was in this class, but I, I was really just like out of it. I started learning how to teach myself how to play guitar again, YouTube University. I was skateboarding. I was kind of getting into that side of, of, you know, alternative culture or whatnot. You, you were looking for a creative outlet. Yeah, 100%. Like I, I knew that I didn't want to eventually work some sort of nine to five if I could stop it. I, I knew I'd, I had this passion for creating. And, and since all of a sudden I hit this, you know, quote unquote roadblock in art, I was like, okay, maybe music. Like That's interesting to me. I love music. Again, my dad used to DJ and kind of was like just here in Miami, was grew up around music as well. Um, so I started teaching myself how to play guitar. So through high school, I'm indirectly you know taking art classes but my main goals or where my mindset is now is more towards music so i start i start a band with some of my friends Mm. all of us equally just picking up instruments around the same time it's like hey we need a bassist here you play bass you play drums and you know that was fun i did that through high school and then for a couple years after high school i started playing guitar for a touring band and did that for a couple years. For what what bands? Any bands that we'd recognize you were touring with? It wasn't anything big. It was a band called um, Amelie, and but before that, uh, th- that band was like a pop pop punk pop rock. It was a little bit more commercial in a sense. Mm-hmm. Before that, like through high school and after, I was more into like hardcore hardcore punk, and I was in a band called Ravia, another band called Handgun, <laughs> um, and these again were just like that's the type of music that I liked more. The band that I was in after that was a little bit bigger, and we actually got to tour. I didn't love the music as much. It was fun because I got to see, you know, all over the U.S. But I, through that, I saw what we were paying, like, these graphic designers to do merch designs for us. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. Like, up until this point, I was very anti-computer anything. I was, like, a drawing, painting, you know, I was, like, very classical in that aspect. But once I started seeing that there was money to be made in this, because while I was in this touring band, we were sleeping on floors, you know, whoever's house we can stay at after the show drive all night to get to a venue and there's 10 people there you know it wasn't very glamorous so i i enjoyed music but i really started missing art so i but you you began to see that there was an outlet for this art and it and it catches your attention and and i want to ask you more about that and about how you make that switch again and then really start to get to the point where you're at now but first our guest today is jason safe he's a miami artist who has his first museum exhibition at the perez art museum it's called coming to fruition and I mean, it's basically a reflection of your career, right? Like it's that 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 is a metaphor for your yeah. for your kind of rediscovery of your love of art, and there is an element of giving your permit yourself permission to make art again, right? Oh, hundred percent. I think. Tell me about that. So, there, there's so many things that went into this exhibition, and, and I I reflect on my path, my career path, and mm-hmm. to to being a you know quote unquote full time artist. Um, and, and I think that it's, there's so many things that happen here and there, and, and it's great to have these types of conversations because I'm able to look back and, and reflect on, you know, everything that led up to this. And yeah, it's like we were saying, it's, it's not like on Instagram where everything is beautiful yeah, you're and like you have a dream highlights. to be, you have a dream of being an artist and then now you're at the PAM. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, uh, yeah. there's this whole period where you just put it away in a back door and, and never thought that you would be up 
a museum artist at some point? Yeah, I, I could, even a couple years ago, I would have, you know, I dreamt of it maybe, but I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't see that path to it. So we were talking before about, you know, graphic design. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was playing in this band and, and, you know, I saw what we were paying some of these artists to do merch designs for us. And I was like, man, I feel like I could do that. So at this point I was, I was a little bit, you know, jaded on, on the band. I kind of had done it for a while. I was, you know, missing home and missing my friends and just kind of missing a, a regular lifestyle one that wasn't waking up in a different city. As as fun as that can look like on the outside, it, it can be very taxing. And I think there's certain people that are maybe a little bit more cut out for it than others. I mean, and, I think a lot of people can can uh, uh, empathize with that or sympathize. I mean, I, I was a sports writer for sure. a long time and you'd travel from city to city sometimes for two weeks at a time. And yeah. for two weeks, you wake up in different cities. Yeah. And, you know, God forbid you're covering an NBA team like my buddy Michael Lee up in... Uh, in That's Washington, like you're sometimes you're in a news, you're in five cities in seven days, you know, and I'm sure playing a band is the same way. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it, it, it weighs on you. Um, so and have, you're a Miami guy. So like, yeah, so like, you, home, sure. so you did miss home. There was some yeah. of that, right? A hundred percent. I, and my family's here. Um, my friends were here. You know, I loved, I was living in Orlando kind of at this time, like the band was based out of there. So I would go and I say living very loosely because it's like when we were practicing, we were there. But mm-hmm. if we weren't practicing or rehearsing or doing something like that, we were on the road. If we weren't on the road or practicing, I was back home. But Orlando was very different from Miami, like even that small change. So, you know, I ended up quitting this band, moving back home with my parents. And at this point, my next um, obstacle goal plan is to figure out how to do graphic design. So, again, YouTube University. I um, download, uh, you know, an illegal version at the time of Photoshop and and start. Oh, no, just... nobody out here has an illegal version of Photoshop. Right? <laughs> no, no, no one's no. ever done that. No, I do not endorse this, but there may or may not have been someone with a similar name of mine who did this back in the day. Um, so I did that and and really just started teaching myself how to do mm-hmm. graphic design. And through being in the music world for a bit, I had made some connections at some labels and managers. And I really just started reaching out to whoever I could and whoever I knew um, to say, hey, if you need anything, I'm available for designing merch. And, and at that point, I started doing some freelance work. And this was the first time that I really started making any sort of money. It wasn't much, but through art. Mm-hmm. So at this time, I'm still, you know, I'm working a retail job um, at Dolphin Mall, <laughs> you know, um, Hot Topic, Quicksilver. Um, shout out to them, but not, uh, you know. Hey, listen, just, they kept the bills paid, right? Somewhat. somewhat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was definitely, uh, allowed me to keep making art. So any money I was making was going to like buying canvases and doing things like that. And the beauty of graphic design was there wasn't that overhead, you know, where if I'm going to make a painting, I need to have acrylic paint, oil paint, canvas. Now there's there's a, a price that needs to go into before even starting something. With the graphic design, if someone says, hey, I want a mixtape cover and it's me on the co- on, on this with this on my head, whatever, I can draw it out on, on the tablet um, and then send it to them. If they like it, they pay for it. If they don't, that sucks. But I didn't, all I wasted <laughs> was time and I had plenty of that at this point. So how, how much of that influenced like the art even that you're doing today, this idea that it starts digital and then it comes out into the real world? Immensely, immensely. And that's why I it's so crazy when I look back at some of these things that happened and I'm like, I'm so glad that I didn't go to New World. You know, I'm so glad that I played in this band. I'm so glad that I did all these things because maybe there was a different trajectory where I would get to somewhat similar. Mm-hmm. 
but this was like it was almost like you know so scripted in that sense that now digital design and and that idea of graphic design and looking at painting in a design form is so crucial to my work and i feel like the work that i do now it's so it scratches both sides of that of the brain for Mm. me where it's like it's this highly detailed ornate painting when i feel like that steeps into immigrant background where if something was good or expensive it had to be hard and and you know sweat it over in a sense so i feel like that element in, in my painting comes from that even you know the imagery aside just the the work that goes into it and then the design aspect with these you know symmetrical and compositionally sound quote-unquote carpet designs mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. i feel like it it really ties in both of these things. And before I start a painting, I, I create a digital design of it, you know. Well, I'm curious about that, right? Because you used to look at, like, you you can kind of, if you go in un, uh, you know, kind of uninitiated to it, you can see the art saying, what do these designs mean? But now now you start thinking about these these shapes, these designs that grabbed your attention to begin with. Yeah. And then you start applying your own creativity and de- deciding what those designs are. Exactly. Talk to me about getting to that point right sure. where you where you look at something again for the first time almost yeah that's know, and re-examining it something as as an art form yeah that's a a tough thing but it was something that i knew that i wanted to explore so going back to the the first works and, and i mentioned briefly about it earlier about these observational drawings and mm-hmm. making paintings of or drawings of things that we had at home and you know these first ones were very derivative of existing carpets that that I had or, or we had at home and the first one I made I remember I painted it it was about 36 by 48 inches it was acrylic on canvas it's about three by four feet yeah it's a reasonable size I had it stretched on, on canvas and I had it on the floor of the studio that I had at the time and I had my parents over and they were like oh this is a beautiful carpet like they didn't they just they thought it was a carpet so they got close to it and then they saw it was a painting and then they had this really cool reaction to it and that was really eye-opening to me they were the first ones that saw it in person how funny that your parents continue to continue to be your first critics yeah right you're giving them way too much credit i (laughs) I don't think so i have kids and i'm telling you it's just barely enough (laughs) no they deserve it 100 um so Oh, so they so they looked at it, and then you both looked at it in a different way, like this this thing that I did out of a curiosity. Yeah, I, you know, but at that point, I, I still felt that one was for me was almost a, a challenge. Like, can I paint this? Can mm. I can I render this on canvas? And can I have it? Can it feel anything different from the initial source? So that first one, it's weird the way that our you know us as humans are brain is wired when we when you tell someone that it's hand painted even if the original carpet was hand woven like we process that differently like the carpet is a lot harder to hand weave than a painting but it it kind of commands even just something as simple as putting it on the wall and putting it vertically it demands a bit more attention it becomes a tapestry right yeah exactly so it's presented in a way that you're observing it differently and then one of the beauty of, of painting it that i had was i had the ability to use color in a way different form than, than they are in, in the initial carpets. So 
So t- okay, so now talk to me about this because then you start to design like all right, first you're it's almost like you're in art school. Like you are yeah. physically developing your skill and being able to do it. And then there's the second thing, like what do I want to say artistically? Sure. And you tap into your background for that. Like you have yeah. a Syrian and Cuban background, which is an interesting mix. Yeah, I that's something that I wasn't like appreciative of or um fully, you know, uh understood it until I got out of Miami and I started traveling and I saw that oh because in Miami one of the first things you ask people when you meet them is like oh so where are you from right because right. it's not maybe somewhere else you ask that and it can come off as insulting or, or almost like um, it can come off in the wrong light but here it's like everybody is just we have such eclectic mixes of, of culture and and I didn't think too much of it I had friends that were all sorts of mixes and then I just I knew that you know my last name and this and that and my grandparents and my parents and I hadn't I kind of just peripherally was was around this information obviously my parents when they were here they tried to assimilate also as much as possible to like you know um quote-unquote American culture for for what that means in Miami right whatever it meant to them at that point (laughs) sure so but yeah so this ties into to the, the work itself so that first one was again very derivative and then I started exploring, okay, like this is cool, but where it's con- aesthetically it's pleasing, but how can I add conceptual meaning to this? How can there be something a little bit behind just something that's really pretty or really hard to do? So that's when I started diving into like what the imagery behind these carpets meant and what carpets come from where and why this and, and, and whatnot. And then through just continuing simultaneously of doing the graphic design work while exploring these paintings, the graphic design work and the retail jobs, that was allowing me to get a studio and make enough money to create paintings. Right. And at this time, I started um, looking into traveling. Um, so I, the first trip I took in the Middle East was to Morocco and to Istanbul in Turkey. And here I got to, to kind of shadow under some ceramicists or what they call handicrafts over there, which they're just very beautiful artworks essentially but you would see them in like bazaars or in medinas or in souks and they're almost like a dime a dozen over there right but i i was okay but this is beautiful and i was definitely buying stuff but i wanted to actually see the people who were making it and and understand that so i got to meet some carpet weavers and designers in turkey and took some of that inspiration and started making work and then the next thing on the list was iran um, and syria so in 2018, I went to Iran and I spent uh, almost a month there and I, I was actually able to study under carpet weavers and designers. To I really wanted to understand what the process was to make this so that I can then bend and break where I could. The beauty of working off a craft that's been around for centuries at this point is that it's given that people care about it. The obstacle is how can I add something new to it? Like where can I add my touch to it? Um, so through understanding this and, and I was so well received, obviously when you look at me, you think that I don't necessarily look like somebody who would be into this type of artwork or creating this. Why, type why? Of work. Tell me why. What am I looking at? Describe, I, self-describe. I have bleached hair and covered in tattoos. Um, and you're wearing that Supreme, <laughs> Supreme soccer, jersey. soccer jersey. Got you. Um, and when I go to these places, I, you know, I'm very much, I dress as I, as I dress. Myself. How, did, how did people receive you so like that in those in these very traditional worlds sure. you know that of, of the creation of, of these kind of art forms and in places like Iran which like not a yeah. lot of Americans have a lot of daily contact with I know? definitely 
when I told people that I was going to Iran, a lot of people were like, what? And then they're like, oh, uh, Iran. And then they got it. Um, but and even then they're like, well, why are you going there? And then they saw like some of my Instagram stories and images. And they're like, it's so beautiful. It's so amazing. And it really is. And you become desensitized to just how much if you care about this type of work, how much amazing artwork there is. And the culture and the people are so amazing. And obviously within respect to the cultures if i was going into a mosque or something i would wear long sleeves i would you know i just be as respectful as possible but i was so embraced and people would literally invite me into their home and and then when they saw that i was making work that was inspired by this they were like over the moon because like somebody from over from the from uh america as they say is doing this type of work and interested in this and they would just want to share it and and one of the most beautiful things is that over there the way that we would go to school for accounting or business or whatever over there there's you know islamic art colleges where they study carpet design and 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 all this type of work so i would get messages on instagram from kids who are in college over there and they're like i was you know studying carpet design and i was so bored with it and then i saw your work and it inspired me to to create different stuff and just to have that full circle you know moment which now obviously social media has its negatives of it but there's also just a beautiful element to just connect people from all over the world and to have that you know embracing and 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 have that reaction to it was amazing to me and then i say all that to say this that once i understood the way these things were made it it's reflective in my practice so before a carpet is made there's there's a carpet designer and the carpet weaver and they create something called a carpet map and that's think of like graph paper Mm. those those squares in the graph paper Mm -hmm. those are pixels that signify how many knots per square inch so that the weaver would follow this kind of map so they'll design the this you know uh, artwork and then they'll pixelate it and then depending on if it's a high-end silk carpet there could be hundreds of knots per square inch a wool carpet that's a little bit when you look at it it seems maybe a little bit blurrier Mm. it's a lot less knots per square inch but before i make a painting instead of creating that carpet map on graph paper i do this digitally um and that that happens on an, on an iPad, right? But it starts off with this outline design, which if you tying it back to uh, coming to fruition, but you go to the exhibition at PAM, you see this wallpaper um, that's behind some of the paintings, that blue wallpaper with the outline. That's that initial outline design that I create on my iPad. And then from there, the way that I use color is uh, very different because I don't have to worry about, I'm in this you know city or, or country where I have to use these natural dyes. I can use kind of these vibrant colors and the elements that I bring together. I almost, uh, I say that I kind of uh, Frankenstein, you know, these, I'll take inspiration from the border of uh, maybe a Tabri's carpet. And then I'll take, you know, the centerpiece from a Turkish carpet. And then I'll throw in my own designs and some birds and imagery and, and, and birds and, and this type of artwork are, are said to, to reflect kind of fertility and new beginnings. And that's why one of the, the paintings that are one of the triptychs in, in Pam, have these birds in them and, and it was reflective of right. this kind of new chapter in, in my career in this museum show that, yeah talk to me about some of the elements in it so we see birds and like when you're because now you understand the form right like sure. the, what the old saying is that you have to know the rules before you break them exactly right uh, so in which ways did you break it you obviously applied sure. different forms and tell me about some of the designs that you added that say something that that pop out from beyond sure. just the technical you know so there's there's this is a theme that i'm that i'm always exploring so one of the the main ways was obviously working on concrete right so mm-hmm. aside from being inspired by the artwork i was also inspired by these walls that i would see in these cities and that comes from both 
the Syrian side and the Cuban side, when you look at some of these um, these walls that you see in the cities and, and this the stories and the history behind it, I always wanted to like you know literally cut out a piece of this and. And, and there's, a, there's, on a, it. there's a Cuban tile element too. Like oh, when I look right. at it, like I was like, oh, I see some of this in yeah. this and potentially even, too. And even in Cuba, there there was this Moorish um, mm-hmm. inspiration that happened. You see some of these buildings that have this um, architecture that you wouldn't expect to see in Cuba. Like you would expect to maybe see it in uh, North Africa, south of Spain, but they, they made their way to Cuba as well. And that um, transitioned into that. But just again, going to the the substrate or the medium that concrete was was the first thing that that i started exploring and and just a way to like never rest on my laurels and like okay it's hard enough to paint one of these on canvas now try painting it on concrete what was Um, it what was it about concrete specifically it said that this is how you can rather than go into like a a textile you know like fabric deciding like concrete is going to be the thing where i'm going to focus my 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 attention sure so there was the first kind of thing was that that clicked was these walls that I would see you know when I was doing these travels and just like they looked like these natural kind of antique in a way and I was like but they were also so porous and unforgiving and and the opposite of what you think of when you think of like a high-end silk carpet so that juxtaposition of this extremely ornate um highly detailed kind of smooth (laughs) thinking thing on on this uh unforgiving surface I, I loved that juxtaposition so the obstacle obviously on this is that you know try drawing a line on a piece of paper and then draw that same line on, on your sidewalk you're gonna get a very different thing so the concrete paintings as precise as I want to be and my brain tries to be I can't because I'm 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 restricted to the way that that concrete cures and another thing that attracted me to it was there was almost an alchemy that would happen with this I wasn't going to an art store and buying a canvas I was it was a bag of sand it was a bucket of water it was a mortar mix it was that you know time creating and figuring this out with my dad and there was that alchemy of like this turning into what you're seeing at Pam and 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 I I loved that element it it felt very artisanal and it felt very you know unique and bespoke so as I said before I'm not working off an existing slab of concrete these are created in studio and the process of that when you look at the the final you know piece it a lot of times people think that it was completely painted and then you know destroyed or or sanded off but no it happens in reverse so oh because there's uh okay so to give folks you walk into a room and like there's panels on three of the walls and one of the panels is like completely perfectly painted and then one of the panels separately to your left it looks like they're the the original art has been worn out through the years sure. and and i want to talk a little bit about um how you begin to express you know examine yourself right because because yeah. all art is all about expression of a, of a feeling you have or a background and whatever yeah. um our guest today is jason safe he's a miami artist who has his first museum exhibition at the perez art museum it's called coming to fruition and i think we're we're getting to the point where like all the things we've talked about is is like we were just saying now in the break is it all leads to a point like these are all like a piece of artwork when you walk in it's it's the culmination of of sometimes a lifetime of examining, right? Yeah. Of examination, and that's kind of where you are now. You walk in and you see the creation of these, of these uh, patterns that are so much something that you first caught your attention when you were a little boy. Yeah, and that was the cool thing about this exhibition. It's like the the name um, coming to fruition, which I give credit to Maritza Lakaya, who is the curator of the exhibition. She came up with that as I was telling her, you know, the the theme of the show and what I wanted to do. 
and it's so reflective in, in, in multiple ways. Now, on a very broad term, mm-hmm. the how we talked about in the beginning of this, that first museum field trip when I was at Charles R. Drew, which was the Miami Art Museum, I didn't even realize until I was doing the walkthrough of Pam when we were selecting like the room where my exhibition would be at, that this was that same collection that moved over here and the name changed. So there was that whole idea of coming to fruition, that, you know, child in Miami having their first U.S. museum solo show be at, at, at the hometown museum, which for me was, you know, so rewarding. And, and the show opened on my birthday and my family was there and my friends. And it was just such an amazing thing that I will always, you know, cherish. Well, let, let's stop on that for a second. I think that that's, it's you know sometimes we have these successes and we don't spend enough time yeah. especially after you talk about all these things that told you no along the way no not to this art school no you didn't go to to a you know you didn't get your MFA yeah. you know at uh, some art school sure um, talk to me about what it is to walk into that room and have your stu- your stuff displayed for the first time in a museum and in it's in your hometown like you never left I'm you didn't, s- yeah, you didn't, still processing I think yeah I think it's it's one of those things where in the moment especially that that night you know the 18th of of may when it opened there was so much going on where i was just trying to have as many conversations and answer as many questions as i could with everybody and i knew it i was like i knew it that it was going to take it was going to it was going to take a while for this to hit me and i and i remember i was with my girlfriend and we were leaving the the preview of it and i was like because there was a preview the day before and the museum wasn't open it was only open for that and i was like wow all those people were there to see my show you know because the museum wasn't open it was just for that and I was just like and it's just like those it was these it comes in like little increments right where it was like that was like a reveal and then having that show and then remembering the first time I went to Pam when it opened like never could I have fathomed that I would be having a show there you know I dreamt of it but I never I couldn't see what was the what was that line that would connect A to B well, right. let's talk about that that final connection because you are now you come home from your travels in the Middle East and really thinking about your background, your Syrian background as yeah. well as is your Cuban background, your travels to Cuba, and then who is the person like that art teacher was for you to first open your eyes that then made the connection with the kind of art that you were making on concrete and said this is something we could exhibit. Tell me about getting to that point. Sure. So at that. There was obviously things here and there that happened. So at this point, I'm creating the canvas works and, and they're doing well. And, mm. and I remember I, the first like painting of this style that I sold was during Art Basel. I think it was at Context Art Fair, maybe December 2016, mm. I want to say. Um, and I was like, I got the, the text from the gallery. It was a, a gallery out here called Robert Fontaine. I'm not sure if they're still, they used to be in Wynwood, but that's all changed so much. Yeah, like I have no a idea lot. Yeah. what what they're doing now but I got that text that the painting had sold and, and I remember like I think after the gallery splits and things like that I barely broke even on it but I was over the moon like wow this sold at you know an art fair but the again that never resting on my laurels I was like okay like that's cool but how can I take a step further so that's what led to we mentioned the the concrete works and then creating these own designs and and making these hybrids and things like that but even through that process, it was still up and down. Like I, I try to show this stuff, the concrete works at the galleries and they're like, oh, it's beautiful, but it's going to be so heavy. Like, how do we show it? This and that. And then once I finally had, you know, a different gallery that allowed me to show the concrete works, the reaction was so wonderful to that where like some people were like, were drawn to it a little bit more than even the canvas works. Mm. And then at this point, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm showing works and, and doing group shows and getting work wherever I could within the realm of possibility of the fact that each of these paintings can take two to three months to complete. And it's only me in the studio. So I'm, I'm trying to scale up while also, you know, making sure that the, the output is, is at the quality that, that I'm happy with. And then, so this show specifically, I talked about Maritza briefly before in, in the naming, but she came for a studio visit in 2020, end of 2020, early 2021. Okay. And this was because I was doing a solo show in London that was supposed to open January 2021 over there, which it, it didn't open because it was hung and, and, and the show did really well, but it was never seen in person by anybody because they were under their strictest lockdowns. Oh, wow. So it was only seen by, well, by, by curators and by the... by. It wasn't. It was seen... This was a, it was a very obscure way that this happened that I was even connected with Maritza because I had done an interview for Harper's Bazaar Arabia, I believe it was, around this the time of this um, exhibition and I was I honestly didn't even want to do the interview I had just found out that I wasn't going to be able to go see the show that it wasn't going to open I was bummed out I was you know but I'm like you know what let me just do it I end up uh, having this interview with a this woman named Tanya who was amazing and she just so happens to be that she had gone to school in London with Maritza from Pam and when the article came out in early or came out before the show, quote unquote, opened. So end of December, she sent it to Maritza and was like, you need to check out this artist. And then it's so crazy that you were from Miami. Yeah. Your work is then, quote unquote, discovered in Europe uh, yeah. by by uh, like Harper's Bazaar, you know, like or Harper's. So the show was in London, but it was written about by Harper's Bazaar Arabia, which Hania was in, in Abu Dhabi in the UAE. And then she sends it back to, to Maritza Miami. in Miami, who she went to school with in London. Right, a lot of a lot of things had to fall in exactly. Place. So I, Maritza's like, "This is beautiful, but what do I have to do with this? Like, what you know?" She's like, "He's in Miami." And she's like, "No way! There's an artist making this type of work in Miami." And she connects us, and it just so happened to be this was like the week before all this was about to get shipped out. So Maritza got to see the London show before it was sent out. So she was like one of the only people that got to see it in person. And I was so appreciative that I that that show happened, even though I was so bummed out, having worked you know a year and a half to two years on this body of work that was only seen in images, other than you know the collectors who eventually, um, thank God, purchased the works. Um, but she was able to see a good body of, of work of mine because, as I mentioned before, because I work work takes so long to do. I'm usually as soon as it's done, I'm sending it to an art fair, a group show. It, it I rarely have you know, inventory and studio. Well, I think that that kind of circuitous nature of it and how, you know, this long arc of working on something can really lead to something like this also leads to another point. Like there's probably a lot, there's probably people who are kind of midway in that cycle. Yeah. Right. And, and I think one of the, one of the um, in, interesting things that you did is that you're from Miami and you've made your career here and you're able to have your first show here. So let me, let me do this. I'm going to give you a gallery space. Okay. It, of your mind what are some of the other South Florida artists that you've seen down here that you're like you're going to hear from this woman this man or you should be or this should be this is what I would put in this space after my yeah. show closes and there's there's two my, Michael Vasquez he's done stuff here before and he's I'm not in any way saying he's next up because he's, he's you know already very well established artist but he was one of the guys that I looked up to um, what kind when, of tell me about his work he does like this really cool kind of figurative portraiture where he 
um, highlights kind of like urban and subculture and and Miami um, it does really great work there's Johnny Robles who's also uh, an amazing artist who does like these kind of abstract kind of color spectrum paintings um, there's another artist who recently moved down here her name is I'm gonna butcher her last name I believe it's Natalia Juncadella um, and she does these really beautiful work she's showing with um, Spinello Gallery down here in Miami and you know it's it's cool to see both artists from Miami who didn't leave and then seeing artists from elsewhere come to Miami and and create their you know their their artworks here because you know one of the driving forces be, behind this show at Pam which as we're approaching the you know the the end of this I want to drive into people to, to ideally they've they've heard me and and, and and you ramble about this for all I'd, I'd love for them to go see the exhibition and ideally some of these words that that I've uh, spewed out here uh, will have a little <laughs> more meaning but I think one of the driving forces behind that was was to really highlight an artist from Miami who's in Miami and who's making work and who reflects Miami. And, and I try to do that in any way I can, no matter where I am in the world. A lot of times there'll be artists who are from here who feel like they need to go to New York or L.A. And sure, there's trajectory within that. You know, one of the things that I always whenever somebody asks me, especially a young artist now having done this show at Pam, I've, I've had the opportunity to give you know tours to high school students and college students and obviously one of the questions that they ask is like you know what what tips do I have and whatnot and there's no as you can see from the and we only hit on some of the stuff of that trajectory it's obscure and, and it doesn't any career path is not going to be linear mm -hmm. there's always going to be those ups and downs and I think that the most important thing that I try to drive in as much as possible in myself because no without a doubt there will be a time where I'll have a lull or will I'll feel like I'm hitting a roadblock it's just that perseverance because when I look back at kind of my story coming to fruition so far the thing that's stuck through it is, is has been to consistently persevere and and continue to believe in myself even though I had those doors that closed or or moments where I felt a bit frustrated or, or where my parents were like well why don't you just get a job at a grass as a graphic designer you know you don't know what you're going to get paid next year next month you know that idea of not having a salary was obviously something that was not understood by my family until very recently that they're like okay he's doing his thing you know but it just kind of continuing to persevere is, is the that one advice that I give to anybody and that I give to myself because there's you can't follow my path and expect it to work as same as I can follow someone else's. Right. It, it's kind of this idea that there is more than one path and that there are not two, there's not two paths. Like there's yeah. not the, the art school path and then your path. There's, there's a million oh, different ways where the perseverance and the, this, the, the search for this, yeah. this creative outlet uh, can lead them. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, you have to really love it. And I think if you really love it, then no matter which way you go, you will end up somewhere near that objective point and you know what I'm saying there there might take you through a couple tolls but <laughs> you know you'll get there sun pass or not what uh when what what should folks look specifically when they go see your work uh here just as we're closing up so what do you think them to pay attention to yeah so coming to fruition at at the Prez Art Museum it's up through August of next year so people have plenty of time to go see it when you look at the works there's there's essentially three paintings in this exhibition they, they consist of seven but it's three large paintings there's one large canvas which you see in the back 
of the space when you walk in. And then there's these two concrete triptychs, which are on the left and the right. And the, the beauty of the concrete triptychs is the works themselves are coming to fruition. So when you start on the left panel, you see the initial design, you see some of that outline exposed, you see the concrete starting to crack and, and render, but that becomes more and more um, defined in stage two and stage three. And that's happening on the left and the right. And then this large canvas that you see in the back of the room is actually the culmination of both of these designs combined into one. It's the first time I've done something like this where I've, you know, essentially mix matched these like symphony or orchestra of these uh, two designs in a large canvas. Well, Jason, I hope folks will get the opportunity, make the time to go out and, and uh, see the, the portion of the journey you're on. Thank you so much for spending the hour with us. Thank you so much for having me. Our guest today was Jason Safe. He's a Miami artist who has his first museum exhibition at the Perez Art Museum. It's called Coming to Fruition. And that's Sundown for Wednesday, September 27th. Leslie Obay Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of Moon News. And Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Merch is WLRN's VP of Radio and Engineering. Our board is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo. Coming up tomorrow on the program, WLRN's Fall Drive begins. We're bringing back some of our best conversations. Marvin Tapia recently joined the City of Miami Commission race. Before that, he spoke to us about going from club promoter to cultural advisor for the county. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. WLRN Public Media.